Okay, let's go into session six and let's pray before we do that because we need to. Father, as we wrap this session up, we pray that you would teach us clearly uh, these last events of these uh, early paragraphs in the life of your son Jesus. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us because he's promised to do that. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. Well, Jesus is uh, newly baptized and he's newly empowered because he's defeated Satan. And all this takes place in the land of Israel. Say Israel. The land of Israel is formed by the boundaries of four bodies of water. Some of you have done this with me. We're going to do this again tonight. Up north we have the Sea of Galilee. Say that. Flowing out of it is the Jordan River. Say that. And it empties into the Dead Sea. Say that. And all that is the Mediterranean. Say that. And this is the land of what? Israel. From north to south it's about 130 miles. From the northern end of the Sea of Galilee to the southern end of the Dead Sea. Now, for our purposes, we're going to put the land of Israel on this floor of the church, okay? I'm going to do a circle up here for the Sea of Galilee. Say that, Sea of? Flowing out of it is the Jordan River emptying into the Dead Sea. Don't take that personally, okay? And all of you guys are living in the land of Israel, and from the middle aisle over to that wall is the what? Mediterranean, okay? So you all are living in the land of Israel 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Jesus is born in what city? Bethlehems. Well, you're going to be Bethlehem. Raise your hand. Stand up. Not, no, not, I don't need two Bethlehems. I just need one. Okay, you're going to be Bethlehem, and we're going to say Bethlehem birth. With me, go. Bethlehem birth. Jesus stays in Bethlehem until Herod uh, is trying to kill him. Okay? Jesus is about two, and where do they go? Egypt. Egypt. See the exit sign over the door? E for exit, E for Egypt. We're going to say Egypt. That's called the flight into Egypt. With me? Egypt, flight. We're going to say Bethlehem birth, Egypt, flight. And now we saw Jesus came back up here to Nazareth, where Don is. Raise your hand, Don. And we, we don't know much about Jesus in Nazareth, but we do know he probably was a carpenter. Here he is sawing off an old log, okay? So we have Bethlehem, birth, Egypt, flight, Nazareth, carpenter. He stays in Nazareth until he's about 30, and then he comes down here along the what? Jordan River. What happens in the Jordan River? He's baptized by John. Now, here's the big question. Is he baptized by John? Is he baptized by John? Is he baptized by John? Is he baptized by... You can do it however you want. But for tonight, we're going to say Jordan River, baptized by John. Go. Jordan River, baptized by John. And then the last event we looked at, he went out into the wilderness. There where Eric is, it's always wilderness, right? And what happened in the wilderness? He was tempted by Satan. So put your little horns up here, and although Satan doesn't have those horns. Now, look around. Make sure you see everybody. Some of you look very appropriate right there. Okay. In the wilderness, Jesus is what? Tempted by Satan. We start and go. Bethlehem, birth. Egypt, flight. Nazareth, carpenter. Jordan River, baptized by John. Wilderness, tempted by Satan. Good to have a seat, angel. We're going to do three firsts in this next session. Three firsts. Jesus is going to go out here to Perea. Say Perea. Perea is out here on the other side of the Jordan River. Bethany beyond the Jordan was out in Perea. And he's going to call his first followers. Some of them are going to become members of the 12 disciples, but now they're just followers. Perea, he calls his first followers. He's going to take them to a wedding, and the wedding's going to be here at my, at my stand called Cana. Remember what happened in Cana? He did the first miracle. What was the miracle? He turned the water into wine. And then he's going to go all the way down to Jerusalem, okay? Would you be Jerusalem for me? Just raise your hand. What's your real name? Thanks, Michelle. You're going to be Jerusalem. 
And in Jerusalem, Jesus is going to do the first cleansing of the Jewish temple. So we have three firsts. In Perea, we have the first followers. In Cana, he does his first miracle. And in Jerusalem, he does the first cleansing of the temple. I want you to find a partner, go from Bethlehem birth to Jerusalem first cleansing. Stand up. Each of you do that together and then have a seat. We'll finish up our session. Go. If you are listening on the audio cassette, audio version of the series, it would be good for you right now to go through this with me. Find a map in the Harmony or in the back of your Bible, and we're going to say Bethlehem birth. Point to that. Egypt flight. Nazareth carpenter. Jordan River baptized by John. Wilderness tempted by Satan. And three firsts. Perea, first followers. Cana, first miracle. Jerusalem, first cleansing. Very good. Okay, with me. Stand up, everybody. This is the sea of what? Galilee flowing out of it. Empties into the what? Dead Sea. We start in, in, oh, there's the where? Mediterranean. And Jesus was born in the land of Israel. What city? Bethlehem. We said Bethlehem. Hold a baby. Birth. And down to Egypt. That's called the flight into Egypt. Then he comes home to where? Nazareth. He was a carpenter till he was about 30. Then he comes into the Jordan River where he is what? Baptized by John out into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan. Three firsts. Perea, first followers. Cana, first miracle. Jerusalem, first cleansing. Good. Have a seat. We'll get started. We'll do that every week for a couple of minutes. And by the end of our sessions, you will know the whole life of Christ. You'll be sick of doing it. So don't worry about memorizing it tonight. Paragraph 26. This is the testimony of John before the leaders. The first time they dealt with John, they were in stage one of their investigation. Come and look at this spiritual movement and come back and give a report to the Sanhedrin. Say Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin sends them back to John. Again, this will happen to Jesus with specific questions. Here's what they want to know. John 1, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. What's the question? To ask him, who are you? Okay? They were the watchdog. They wanted to know, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the what? Christ. I'm not the Christ. So they asked him, well then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Elijah was predicted in Malachi 4, the last chapter of the scriptures of the Old Testament, that before the Messiah came, God would send Elijah in the spirit and power of Elijah to pronounce the way for the coming of Christ. And he said, I'm not Elijah. I'm not bodily Elijah risen from the dead. Then, he said, then they said, what? Are you the prophet. Underline that and put a capital T by the word the. Are you the prophet? The prophet's very important. Okay? The prophet's very important. There's the Malachi 4 passage in the book of Isaiah. Uh, John's going to tell us what he is, but the prophet refers to Deuteronomy 18. Remember, Deuteronomy's a big verse in the life of Jesus. Deuteronomy's written by Moses. And in Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, Behold, God will raise up another prophet like me, we're going to see later in the life of Jesus, when Jesus fed the 5,000, they said, ah, oh, this is of a truth, the prophet. That's a, perf- that's a proper name who comes into the world. They thought Jesus was the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy about the Messiah. He says, I'm not the prophet. I, he answered, no. 
Verse 22, they said to him, who are you? Tell us so that we can give an answer to those who sent us. Who sent them? The Sanhedrin. He, what, who do, what do you say about yourself? He said in verse 23, I am the voice of one shouting in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. So here's Isaiah 40, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Then, after the voice, then, verse 5, Isaiah 40, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He became flesh and gloried among us. So John is not the prophet, he's not Elijah, but he is claiming to be the voice, one who's preparing this back-to-God movement. Verse 26, why is that so? Verse 25, they ask, why then are you baptizing? They had two questions. Who are you? Second, why are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not recognize who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. And my guess is Jesus is standing in the crowd listening to this. John's got a big movement there, and they're not interested yet in Jesus. Jesus has been baptized. John knows he's the Messiah because the Holy Spirit's descended on him. These things happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. We saw that on the map, Bethany beyond the Jordan. Now, verse, next paragraph, paragraph 27. This is day two. Day one was what we just went over. Who are you and why are you baptizing? Day two, on the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, how did John know that? He knew that because of the Holy Spirit. My guess is that John, every time he baptized somebody, and we're not really sure if he sprinkled them with a hyssop branch like a priest would do in the Old Testament, or if he dunked them. Could have done either. My guess is he dunked them. We could have called him John the Dipper. But my guess is every time he dips somebody, as he's pulling them out, he's kind of going, is this the one? No. Is this the one? No. Finally, Jesus shows up. Is this the one? Here comes the Spirit. Yes, it's the one. You with me? So John knows this is the... Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're Jewish, and think Jewish, I need you to wear yarmulkes next week. If you're Jewish, the Lamb of God is the Passover Lamb. The Passover Lamb was given by every Jewish family. They would take the Lamb, they'd kill the Lamb, they'd put the blood on the doorpost, and then by faith they had to enter into the benefits of the shed blood of the Lamb. 1 Corinthians 6, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. John gets this. This is the one, he says, about whom I said, after me comes a man who is greater than I because he existed before me. John is older than Jesus, but he knows Jesus existed before him. Isn't that cool? I did not recognize him. They grew up miles apart. They probably didn't get to the same family reunions. But I came baptizing with water so he could be revealed to Israel. This is the big day in John's life. John has been born and raised to do this day. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the guy. I'm the voice. I'm telling you who he is. This is why John was born. Imagine how cool this was for John. He said, verse 32, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. I did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have both seen 
and testified that this man is the chosen one of God. The NIV says the son of God. So John said he's the Passover lamb, he's the son of God, and his life dream, his life mission is fulfilled. And then John says later, he says, he must decrease, I mean, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, Jesus is authenticated in his person. Paragraph 28. The next day, verse 35, so on day three of the first week of Jesus' ministry, you with me? The next day, John was standing there with two of his disciples. Now, write down Andrew and John, because we know that's who they are. Gazing at Jesus as he walked by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So that's the second time John identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard him say this, they what? Followed Jesus. John had done a good job preparing his followers. Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, What do you want? So they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, literally my great one, where are you staying? Jesus answered, Come and you will see. Now, if you're not Jewish, that doesn't mean anything. Where are you staying? What do you think? He's at the Holiday Inn? They're in the desert. Where are you staying is what you would ask of a rabbi when you wanted to become his full-time follower. You wanted to become one of his disciples, one who would travel with him and learn everything he he learned. There was a great expression in Israel called, it said, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. And so they're saying, hey, Jesus, where are you staying? We want to know everything about you. We want to be part of your program. And when he says, come and you shall see, that's the rabbi's way of saying, you're on board. The admissions committee has reviewed your application and you've been accepted. Pretty neat. Come and you see. And they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. That was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I love this. Who's writing this? John. And John records the time of day when he first comes to follow Jesus. John never leaves Jesus. Now, John happens to be a cousin of Jesus. But on this day, he realizes he's not only my cousin, he's, he's the Messiah, and I'm not leaving. Now we find Andrew, verse 40. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. I don't know what Andrew knew, but he knew a lot for a little time, didn't he? Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Now listen, any of you have an older brother? Is it, is it really cool to be known as somebody's little brother? That's poor Andrew. His whole life he's known as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter was the older guy. He was the leader of the 12. He's the guy that gets all the publicity. But you know the thing I love about Andrew? He's always bringing somebody to Jesus. And it starts with his own brother, Simon, we've got him. And he brings him to Jesus. Verse 42, Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The word Cephas, uh, 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 Peter, it literally is the word Rocky, the word Petros. And I just hear the sounds in the back. You are no longer Simon. I'm going to call you Rocky. I love this. And, and Simon Peter was rocky through his whole ministry, through the whole time of his time with Christ. Now there's more disciples. On the next day, we're on day four of the first week, John in his gospel gives a lot of emphasis to the first and the last week of Jesus. 
Day four, on the next day Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the town of Andrew and Peter. And we get back to our map, and the map shows you the Sea of Galilee, and the Capernaum's there, Bethsaida's just around the corner. Okay? Peter lived in Capernaum, Philip lived in Bethsaida, less, less than a mile away, just down the road. And Philip follows Jesus. Philip found Nathaniel. Now we got five. Andrew, John, Philip, uh, uh, Simon, uh, Philip, and now Nathaniel. And he said to Nathaniel, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Underline that. Joseph, the father of Jesus, is dead, probably. I don't think this is referring to Jesus' earthly dad, who was adopted father. At the time of Jesus, the Jews had a frustrating way of referring to their messiahs. They had one group of prophecies that was all about the ruling messiah, the conquering king, and they called him the son of David. But then they had other prophecies, like the the Nazarene prophecies, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, uh, Zechariah 12, the rejected messiah. And they called him the son of Joseph. What happened to Joseph in the Old Testament? He came and saved the lives of his people but ultimately was rejected. And so in the Jewish thought at the time of Jesus, they believed that the Jews would have two messiahs, each of whom came once, the son of Joseph to die for the sins of the people and the son of David to rule in Israel. We know what happens is we have one messiah who comes twice. But in his first coming, Jesus is the son of Joseph. I think that is what Philip is referring to here. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, Nathanael replied and said, Can any good thing come out of Haines City? And what does Philip say? Come and you shall see. It's, again, come and be a part of his discipleship program. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and exclaimed, Look, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now listen, I have a grandson, Jacob, and he is a delight. That's the most famous name in captivity. The name Jacob is not a great name. It means deceiver, trickster. Anybody here named Jake? I love the name. It's a great name, but it was not a complimentary term in the Old Testament. And so what Jesus is saying, look, you're an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Jacob was given the name Israel after he comes to faith and strives with God. The name Israel means one who strives with God. Nathaniel asked Jesus, how do you know me? Jesus replied, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, a Jew at the time of Jesus who wanted the most out of his walk with God would read his Bible under a fig tree. There were fig trees all over. They were by the sides of the road. You could pick the figs as you traveled. It gave off great shade. But if you wanted God's blessing, you would read your Bible under a fig tree. And so Jesus had seen Nathanael doing this, and Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, that's a lot. I don't know what else these guys had listened to or heard, but they they knew what they were wanting. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Because I told you you were under the fig tree, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? He continued, I tell you the solemn truth, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Maybe, maybe he was reading Genesis 28, the story of Jacob's ladder. And Jesus is going to teach him, hey, I'm the way of access, just like the ladder into heaven in the Old Testament, I'm the way of access into heaven now. 
So we have Andrew, we got John, we got Peter, we got Philip, we got Nathaniel, and then we got the first miracle. These are his first followers. Perea, first followers, say that. Now he, first followers. Now he takes them to where? Cana, and he's going to do his what? First miracle. Hang in there, this won't take long. Now on the third day, John 2 and verse 1, the third day after they left the south, the third day after they leave Perea, so we're now on day seven of the, of the ministry of Jesus. You with me? On the third day, the last day of the first week of his ministry, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. Cana is right next to Nazareth. They're just, you can walk there. It's less than five miles. It's just really about a three-mile trip. Okay? So by the time you walk from here down to Edgewood, you'd pass Cana. Verse 3, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother came to him and said, they have no wine left. Again, in the Jewish wedding custom, there are four major steps. The engagement, the betrothal, the marriage night, and the wedding feast. The wedding feast was always in the home of the father of the groom. All of his friends were there. It lasted from two days to seven days. And you would always serve them the best wine on the first day and the second day, so that by the third day you could break out the cheap wine. But Jesus has been invited, and he shows up with his disciples, and it's not a big town, and it's not a big family. It's a small little bit, little burg in the middle of nowhere, and they're out of wine, maybe because Jesus and his disciples show up. Mary, Mary, they have no wine left, just like a Jewish mother. Jesus replied, woman, what are you, what, why are you saying this to me? My time has not yet come. The, the literal Hebrew, and it's a, it's a, a colloquialism, what is this between you and me? Woman is, is, the, is the word that he uses from the cross. Woman, behold your son. It's not a demeaning term. It's just I'm no longer dealing with you as my mother. I'm not going to obey you and do this miracle because you want to as my mother. But he is going to help out the situation. Again, there's dialogue here. We don't have it all. His mother told the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. There were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washing, each one holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the water jars with water, so they filled them up to the very top. So we're dealing with 180 gallons of wine. A lot of wine. He said, draw some out, take it to the head steward. When the head steward tasted the water that had been turned to wine, not knowing where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, he called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, then the cheaper wine, but when the guests are drunk, you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the first miraculous sign in Cana, first of his miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee. In this way, he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Why did Jesus do this miracle? To allow the disciples, Peter, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, to believe in him. It's a miracle of creation. It's a miracle of joy. It's a miracle at a wedding. It's a picture of heaven. Okay. I won't go into it more than that. If you want, come see me. i got more stuff on it. Last event of the night. Paragraph 30. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. So we're still in the north. Capernaum is a major uh, transportation hub. We're going to talk about that later. Now, the Jewish feast of Passover was near. This is the first of four Passovers during the ministry of Jesus. That's why we think he ministered three and a half years. This is the first time. Every Jewish man's got to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
He found in the temple courts those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers sitting at the tables. So he made a whip of cords and drove them all out of the temple courts with the sheep and the oxen. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold the doves, he said, Take these things away from here. Do not make my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will devour me, literally cause my destruction. What's going on here? Jesus gets to the temple. The temple is this structure here. And Jesus probably comes in this direction. And in this courtyard, this is a model built from the first century. This is redone by Herod. This is a seven-acre large platform on top of Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And in this courtyard, at the time of the Passover, everybody's got to have a lamb to offer at the feast, which is Thursday night. You would pick out your lamb on Sunday, and then you would inspect the lamb Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you would eat it Thursday. Okay? Now let's suppose you've come from Nazareth, and you've raised your own lamb, because it's cheaper to do that. And you bring him down to the temple courtyard, and you see a series of booths with signs and One says, lamb inspections here. You have to give a perfect lamb. Male, no broken bones, no diseases, no blemishes of any kind. So you go to the man in the booth, and his name is Ezra. Ezra, I need you to inspect my lamb. Ezra says, well, that will be two shekels. And so you reach into your wallet, but you don't live in Jerusalem, so you don't have shekels. You have coinage from Nazareth. Nazareth was run by the Romans. What kind of coins do the Romans have? Denariuses, there's a problem with that. Whose picture is on a denarius? Caesar's. You cannot make unto me graven images. So to take a denarius into the temple courtyard was a bad thing. The priests would not permit it. So they actually had permission from the Romans to print shekels at the time of Jesus. Only time we know of in in the history of Rome. And so Ezra says, I'll tell you what, leave me the lamb, I'll inspect it, go down to the next booth, And what's it say over the next booth? Coins exchanged here. So you go down and you exchange your coins. What happens to your denarius? You lose 14% off the top. You come back lighter in the toga, but you're pretty excited. You pay the shekels. And Ezra says, you know, this is a nice lamb, but it ain't perfect. I can't give you the stamp of approval because you can't give the God which ain't perfect. That's my Jewish accent for the night. And the poor guy from Nazareth, you know, maybe it's Joseph, maybe it's Benjamin, whatever his name is, he says, Oi, what am I going to do? And Ezra, being a good Jewish businessman, says, Have I got a deal for you? Look over here. What does that sign say in Hebrew? It says, Pre-inspected government USDA choice lambs for sale. What happens to the price of that lamb? Through the roof. This whole system was run by a guy named Annas. Remember him? Annas was so powerful that by the time of Jesus, they put Caiaphas, his son-in-law, into the priesthood, into the high priesthood. It's estimated when Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers and drove out the animal sellers, it cost Annas over a million dollars in that currency. This is the first of four Passovers. Three years later to to the day, Jesus will be in Jerusalem on trial before Annas. And his disciples remembered, zeal for your house will cause my destruction. Verse 20, the Jewish leader said to him, this temple has been under construction 46 years, 
and are you going to raise it up in three days? Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. So after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the saying that Jesus had spoken. This temple system was so corrupt that in 63 AD, the Jewish common people overthrew it. It was so lucrative that in 70 AD, when Rome destroyed the temple, there was $10 million in gold left in the temple treasury that the Jewish people simply didn't have time to carry away. Now, to close, real simple. There is no temple today. We don't have to go to a building that looks like that. But, you know, I started the night by talking about the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus working in us to cleanse us. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, often I want to be forgiven, but I'm, I'm not real crazy about cleansing. It can be hard. And how do, you, how do you respond to that? Is there an area of your life that you really need the Lord to work in? That's why he's come. Hebrews says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll cleanse you in the area where you need it most. Father God, thank you for these events. Thank you that Jesus came and cleansed the temple, and he's at work cleansing us today. And we pray that your Holy Spirit, who lives in us, would indeed uh, cleanse areas of our life that are not pleasing to you and need to be taken care of in every way so that we can walk more closely with your Son. We pray in his name. Amen.